0: On you personally, not some anonymous being in a distant place, and to define in no uncertain terms the consequences of inaction. Let the battle begin.
1: We are speaking with Bill Federer, a nationally known speaker and best-selling author of over 20 books highlighting America's heritage. Bill will be appearing in our area at the Union Towns Tea Party meeting on October twenty fourth at seven PM at the upstairs community room located at Butternut Golf Course in Blairsville. So Bill, how do you how do you fight a tactic like this? What is what can people do to be effective? Because you're right. This kind of accusation game that is being played is extremely effective because you tar and feather your opponent verbally before he even has a chance to defend himself. But that's that first accusation that remains foremost in people's minds. How do you fight that?
2: Well, when you have a, a dumbed down populace, uh, it's difficult. You know, the opposite of hate is, is love, the opposite of pride is humility. Uh, basically, the gospel is the. The, the answer, um, that brings up a whole nother topic, and that's uh, called Hegelian dialectics. So I have a few minutes I'd like to, to share on that, and I think that'll shed some light for, for an answer to your question.
1: Go right ahead.
2: So um, uh, Hegelian dialectics, what's that? Well, let's back up a little bit. We talked about uh, kings, and the most common form of government in all of recorded history is kings, pharaohs, Caesar, Kaiser, sultan, czars. Very few examples of people getting an opportunity to rule without a king ancient Israel, ancient Greece, Rome was a republic for 500 years until Julius Caesar turned it into an empire, made himself dictator for life. And so very few examples of people ruling themselves. But there are, uh, in the 1500s, Italy was a bunch of city-states. They were like noblemen's republics, and um, they uh, always fought. Uh, you had uh, Venice, Genoa, Naples, Siena, and uh, a guy that lived in Italy during this time was named Machiavelli. He was in Florence and he uh, thought, well, you know what? If one prince could control all of Italy, it would stop the infighting between these city-states. So he writes a book called The Prince, where he advocates the ends justifies the means. The end of one prince controlling all of Italy such a good end because it'll stop the infighting. That any means necessary to get there is justified. Lie, chief, steal. So if a prince conquers a city, the people would hate him. But if the prince pays criminals to kill cows and burn barns and create riots and all kinds of just social disruption, the people will cry out for help. And the prince will come in and kill the very criminals he bribed. Nobody would know the better for it. And everyone would praise the prince as a hero. And so it's good marketing. You create the need and fill it. You go around the back of the house and set it on fire. Then you go around the front of the house and sell a fire extinguisher, and they'll pay anything for it and thank you for being there. So it's called Machiavellianism, where you create or capitalize on crises to consolidate control. Then we fast forward to Napoleon conquers Prussia. Uh, So Germany was not Germany. It was a bunch of Russian, I'm sorry, German provinces. And one of those provinces was Prussia, and the other was Saxony and Bavaria and so forth. And so... The Prussian king said, well, we can't let someone like Napoleon conquer us that easy again. We need to strengthen the state. And so the philosopher that uh, gave justification was Hegel, H-E-G-E-L. And Hegel said the state is God walking on earth. And he came up with a way to concentrate power, sort of like Machiavelli, but he put it into an equation. It's like a triangle. One corner is a thesis, the opposite corner is an antithesis, antithesis, and the top corner is a synthesis. It sounds complicated, but it's not. In other words, you start off, and then you create a problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad, and then that becomes the new thesis starting point, and then you create another antithesis, another problem that's real bad, and everybody's happy to settle for your answer that's half as bad, and that's the new thesis. You do this again and again and again until you move, from the people ruling themselves from the bottom up to a king ruling from the top down. And so Karl Marx took Hegelian dialectics, and he applied it politically, and uh, he would send in uh, agitators and agent provocateurs, provoking agents, and organizers, community organizers, labor organizers, and they would find people who had grievances, who felt slighted, who felt that they'd been wronged, and you would organize them and play upon their lusts and their hurt feelings and you would say, You want what the other ones have, follow me and we'll fix it. We'll write it. You can get what they have. Appeal to their covetousness. And uh and so uh it now works best if the people are not Christian. Even Napoleon said religion is what keeps the poor from murdering the rich. So if you have poor people that are Christian, don't just suffer, but if you get rid of Christianity, then all you have is raw mob. You have People that have no respect for property, no respect for rights, they don't care about doing to others as you would have them doing to you. And so Karl Marx would organize the proletariat against the bourgeois, the working class against the business owners. They'd organize the poor against the rich, the blacks against the whites, the Catholics against the Protestants, the Muslims against the Christians, the Hutus against the Tutsis in the Congo and Rwanda. They really don't care who the two sides are, and they really don't care what the issues are. Is it a Confederate flag? Is it a statue? Is it their anthem? They don't care about that. All they want is a social disruption that's so bad that everybody's willing to surrender their freedoms to have order restored. And um, Jacob Era, who uh, helped to take over Cuba and killed thousands of people, he said, blind hate against the enemy creates a forceful impulse that cracks the boundaries of natural human limitations, transforming the soldier into an effective, selective, and cold-killing machine. A people without hate cannot triumph. And so these people, they want to stir up hate, and they, they need an enemy. And so Castro said, the revolution needs the antithesis. So they actually, the same people, support the alt-left that support the alt-right. I don't know if that makes sense. So if you're wanting to organize your left people, uh, why organize? You need an enemy to organize against. And so they get behind the alt-right, and they're creating the crisis that the other side can mobilize together against. And um, and so it's the, the, the Hegelian dialectics. And um, a couple other quotes here's Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels, they said it goes without saying that these conspirators – by no means confine themselves to organizing the revolutionary proletariat. Their business consists in spurring it into an artificial crisis. The only condition required for the revolution is a sufficient organization of their own constituency. Uh, It says they are the alchemists of the revolution. So these are guys who've studied how to organize people to create crisis. Frederick Engels goes on, Every new crisis must be more serious and more universal than the previous crises. Every fresh slump, uh, talk about the economy, every fresh slump must ruin more small capitalists and increase the workers who live only by their labor. This will increase the number of the unemployed, and then you can organize the unemployed to riot. In the end, the commercial crisis will lead to a social revolution far beyond the comprehension of the economists and so forth. And uh, David Horowitz, who um, used to be a communist, now he's a conservative writer, he said, the issue is never the issue. The issue is always the revolution. So again, it's not Confederate statues. It's not the Pledge of Allegiance. It's not any of that. They just want a social disruption that's so terrible, everybody will beg for uh, the government to restore order. Uh, now, what about the people that are on the streets doing the rioting? Lenin called them useful idiots <laughs> and uh you see those TV programs where they stick a mic in the person's face why are you out here with occupy wall street or black lives matter or hands up don't shoot or and the answers these people get are uh, i don't know you know uh, they're useful idiots um and uh But again, Castro said the revolution needs the enemy. The proletariat does not need to flee from the enemy. It needs the enemy. To develop himself, the revolutionary needs his antithesis, which is the counter-revolutionary. So they need to have the alt-right so that the alt-left can organize against them. Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum will return right after this quick break.
1: We are speaking with... Bill Federer, a nationally known speaker and best-selling author of over 20 books highlighting America's heritage. You know, originally in America, a hundred years ago or so, when, when my ancestors came to this country, they came here because it was a melting pot. They came here for their fortune, but they wanted to be part of America. They shed their European skin and said, I don't want to be a hyphenated American of any kind. I just want to be an American. And so that's where that term, the melting pot, came from, because everyone came. Their flavors were still there, but their flavors made part of the whole, and you could not identify individual members of a group in a melting pot because everything was melted like a fondue. What we have today and what was created by the progressive movement was a salad bowl because that's the only way that you can identify and separate the lettuce from the onions from the tomatoes and play one group off against another. And so you call them useful idiots, so did Lenin and Stalin, and I agree, they were useful idiots. I throw in the pot useful idiots and educated morons, because both of those are all part of the same process of pitting one group against another for an evil Outcome, uh, And as you know what happened to the useful idiots, Lenin and Stalin, when they were done with them, they eliminated them. And uh, that's generally what happens. They're useful for what they're useful, and then they're gone.
2: Right. It's important for people to understand how that most people just want to live their lives. And they can't imagine that there's people that have these uh, nefarious Plots, but they do exist. All you have to do is read Shakespeare, right? And all the, you know, King Lear and Othello and, you know, how they have these plotting people wanting to take power. So there are those that want to take power. And um, uh, one of them was Saul Alinsky. And now uh, he rode around with Al Capone's hit men in Chicago, Frank Nitti. And he saw how all he had to do was kill a few people, smash a few windows, and the whole neighborhood would submit to the mob and pay extortion protection money. And so he decided to apply this to politics. And Hillary Clinton did her senior thesis at Wellesley College on Solinsky. And President Obama was a Solinsky community organizer. And so Solinsky says the organizer's first job is to create the issues or the problems. The organizer must first rub raw the resentments of the people of the community. An organizer must stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. Solinsky goes on. The community organizer must fan the latent hostilities of many of the people to the point of overt expression. The organizer polarizes the issue and helps lead his forces into conflict. He must search out controversy for unless there is controversy, the people are not concerned enough to act. And so with the politics being played out on America, there are those that want to rub raw resentments. They want to stir up dissatisfaction and discontent. They want to fan hostilities to the point of outbreaks of violence.
1: Well, there's no question that we have a great deal of unrest in this country today. And the problems come from the fact that people cannot – have been. we have been divided in ways that make it impossible to discuss anything between uh, groups. When you have a disagreement with someone today, no one's going to sit down and discuss rationally with you. How do we reach a compromise? How do we reach a solution? And one of the problems is, uh, Bill, is that uh, some of the positions taken are so, so hard – on both sides, that it is virtually impossible for them to come together. Uh, we know, for instance, on Second Amendment issues, uh, this is something that's a constitutional right. It is a natural law right of self-defense to be able to defend yourself. And yet there are vast elements in this country who would fight to the death to make sure that we did not have our rights to, of self-protection. So how do you bridge that gap?
2: Um, Well, I think the first thing is understand uh, the larger picture of an agenda uh, in the Second Amendment uh, arena uh, that throughout history, kings have always controlled the weapons. And that's how you could have a very small number of Ottoman Turks uh, control 80 percent populations of Christians in Armenia and Bulgaria and Romania and Albania and, and Greece and all these countries. Because the the non-Muslims were forbidden to own weapons. It was part of the Dini status. Uh, in the Democrat South, uh, it was illegal for a black person to own a weapon. <laughs> they ex- actually had it in the laws. No Negro shall own a weapon. Why? Because they knew that that was the way that you can control people, right? Republican Lincoln freed the slaves. One out of every five lynchings was a white Republican lynched for being in the South registering the the freed blacks to vote. And so instead of it being a black white issue, it's a Democrat Republican issue. People sort of forget all these Confederate statues, Confederates were Democrats. <laughs> the Democrats owned slaves, Lincoln Republican freed the slaves. And, um, uh, and so if you're going to get rid of anything that reminds you of slavery, you got to get rid of the Democrat party. Uh, you have to get rid of the Islamic crescent. Mohammed owned slaves. How come he gets a free pass, right? You know, you're talking about people that own slaves. Mohammed himself owned slaves. Muslims had slave trade for eight centuries before America was ever discovered. Kimbuktu was the big Muslim slave trading city where the canoe meets the caravan. Khartoum in Sudan. Sudan was a big Muslim slave trading city. Tanzania on the Zanzibar coast, big Muslim slave trading ports. And, um, and so they uh, they enslaved 180 million Africans and uh, over a million Europeans. There were whole Catholic orders in Europe throughout the Middle Ages called the Trinitarians. And the head of the order was called the Ransomer. And they would collect alms and donations across Europe and go under a white flag to North Africa to ransom your friends back. And um, in 846 AD, 11,000 Muslims invaded Rome, Italy, carried off thousands into slavery, and they trashed the, the bones of Saint Peter and Saint Paul. It was after that that Pope Leo decided to build the wall around the Vatican. Right. So here we had the Pope building a wall to keep the off out, from that. Um, but uh, but they would enslave them. And it went on for centuries. One of the pilgrim ships in uh, 1625, the pilgrims had saved up 800 pounds of beaver skin, sent it back to Europe for trade and a Turkish man-of-war captured in the English Channel, took him down to Morocco and sold the crew into slavery. Even the pilgrims had to face. Captain John Smith had founded Virginia. Uh, he had fought the Muslims in Hungary, uh, along with Eugene of Savoy and these different dukes. And, and uh, John Smith was captured and made a slave in Constantinople. He escaped, went to Russia, and then he fought the Muslims on the Mediterranean finally makes his way back to England in 1605. And in 1606, he set sail to found Jamestown, Virginia. So even the founder at Jamestown, John Smith, had been a slave to the Muslims until he escaped. Um so we need, if we're going to get rid of things that remind us of slavery, well, we'd have to get rid of Islam. And, um, anyway, it's, uh, very important that we know history. Uh, but, um, we're, uh, the first step is to not be naive and realize that there is a political agenda that's being played out, and there are people that are stirring up. If you trace, uh, I encourage people, trace the funding of the alt-left and the alt-right, and I, I bet you'll see that's the same people behind them, and I bet you'll probably see George Soros' name in there. <laughs> so, um,
1: Well, Bill Federer, it's been a, a pleasure discussing these issues with you. Uh, I will remind our listeners that Bill will be in Blairsville, Georgia, the Union Towns Tea Party meeting on October the 24th at 7 p.m. in the upstairs community room on the Butternut Golf, Butternut Golf Course in Blairsville, of course. Uh, and we invite you all to come and uh, meet with Bill personally, and he will be talking about a variety of issues uh, that are extremely important that we all hear about, that we all learn about. I know you agree, Bill, that education is so important, and the way we educate ourselves is by listening to people like you who have taken the time to to learn about history because history is so important and to relate it to modern life.
2: Well, um, I appreciate you, Dr. Dan, for having me on your program. Uh, I have a website, AmericanMinute.com, and uh, the book that I've mostly referred to today is called Who is the King in America? Who is the King in America? And they can get it on Amazon.com or they can go to my website, AmericanMinute.com. I also send out a free daily email of something that happened on each date in history that they can sign up for, AmericanMinute.com.
1: Bill Federer, it has been a pleasure and an honor to have you as a guest on Freedom Forum Radio. Thank you so very much.
2: Thank you. And that concludes another episode of Dr. Dan's Freedom Forum. Join the battle on our website, www.drdansfreedomforum.com. The right to own private property that cannot be arbitrarily confiscated by the government is the moral right and constitutional basis for individual freedom. Everything,
1: everything, everything, gonna be all right this morning.